Welcome, everyone. We, have a, we are about to begin Beis Hashem, uh, Shalom Bayesh, number 146. We're continuing um, regarding infidelity from a lecture given by Moshe Zev Lam, a wonderful Ha'aris. And last year we talked about um, when a hurt spouse says, why not end the marriage? And it's to address that question. Um, and he acknowledged sometimes it is better to end, but very often it's it's not. Um, he explained that very often um, the fears can happen in actually marriages that are good overall, overall, that have a good basis, but there was a problem in it that needs correction, but that doesn't mean that the marriage did not have great value that can be saved, not only salvaged, but even enhanced once the problem is corrected. And also, if uh, it's, it's easier to have the wounds heal if you try to save the marriage, and um, and that's also um, an important idea. And um, he also says, which is important, is that um, now they could really work on things that they may have not worked on before uh, to make this marriage stronger than it ever was before. And um, the idea to say that the marriage was useless, was valueless, was empty all those years until this happened um, is usually not correct. I know emotionally it feels like that, but objectively it's not correct. Because what people need to realize very often is that affairs happen in an illusion. It does not take place in the real world. It's like in their own bubble. Um, And... When an affair is, uncomf- is uncovered and shows the light of day, almost always, almost always, the affair ends pretty much right away. And he has some statistics on that. He basically says, based on statistics, that how many, you know, when there's an affair, how often does that couple that, you know, that had the affair, that cheated, how often do they marry subsequent- subsequently? And it's three to seven percent. So three to seven percent of the time, when people cheat and are unfaithful, the ones that are unfaithful they marry each other. Three to seven percent. Ninety-three to ninety-seven percent of affairs after it's found out, they break up. And even in that three to seven percent of when they do marry each other, there's a seventy-five percent divorce rate. Of those marriages. So in other words, you see from here that in general, a fear is an illusion. It's in a bubble. Because basically you're dealing with a relationship that has no financial issues, has no children issues, has no cleaning laundry issues, has no what's for dinner issues. It's not real. It's not real. It's a fantasy land that you're escaping into. Marriage takes place in the real world. And affairs do not take place in the real world 95% of the time. It's a fantasy. And um, usually marriage, um, you know, is uh, not um, competing with another real love that's taking place there. It's usually competing with an illusion. The fear is usually an illusion. It's an escape. And... um, that's something that's important to know. And based on that, that especially if it was a one-time thing and um, it was used as an escape, 
very often, despite that terrible misstep, that the value of the marriage was there and it could be rebuilt. Now, the question is, how will I ever be able to trust this person? And that's a valid question. And the truth is, is that we do not know. Now, he comes up with the aside that's used a lot in marriage therapy. I'm not too familiar with this because I'm not a marriage therapist. But it makes sense what he's saying. It's something called making a workable assumption. In order to move on, you make a workable assumption, meaning the hurt spouse says, how do I know if I can ever trust this person again? How do I know that my husband isn't lying to me right now? And the truth is, is we don't know. It, but, but the bottom line is, is if you 100% believe that your husband is lying, then the, you can't go further. There's nothing to do. It's over. But if you want it to work, then you have to make a workable assumption and make an assumption that's workable, that there is truth to it, that he's telling the truth, and I'm going to work on that assumption to go, for, to go forward. Now, if evidence comes out later that he was lying, then indeed, you know, that, that the marriage is over at that point, you know, if he's continuously lying, obviously. But as long as he's regretful, and we're going to talk about what he needs to do, but um, there's something called a workable assumption where you, the trust is gone. You don't really trust the person. But you say to yourself, I'm willing to take that step. And therefore, I'm making a workable assumption that I'm taking your word for it for now that you are telling me the truth. And what has to happen in order for this to continue on is this: these are the things that have to happen. And the hurt spouse needs to know this if they want to continue, to get to that workable assumption of him that he's telling the truth, he has to, number one, give a verbal assurance that the affair is over. Now, if he does not, and if he says, I'm not giving it up, it's a separate conversation, he said. doesn't mean the marriage is over, but it's a separate discussion that he's not didn't discuss here. Um, if there's a history of unfaithfulness also, He's not discussing that here. That's also a separate discussion. In other words, if he's not willing to give up the affair, or if he has a pattern and history of it, like an addiction or, 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 or you know, constantly running around, it's a different conversation. Doesn't mean the marriage is over, but it's a whole different ballgame, and a different go, the, the conversation goes in a different direction. We're talking here with an assumption when he says that it never happened before, and this is the only time it happened. And to make the workable assumption to work for the hurt spouse, he needs to make a verbal assurance and say clearly, it's over. It's over. I will never see this person again. It'll never happen again. So that's number one. Number two, what he needs to do is show a great deal of humility. And according to Maisha Zev Lam, this is really the key. This is the single biggest indicator to see whether this marriage can go forward or not. If he shows true humbleness and humility in recognizing the wrongdoing that he did. If he feels that, and it's sincere, and it's sensed by the therapist, Rav, marriage counselor, then there is what to work with, but you need that. Also, empathy and taking responsibility. And also, number three, is being open about what happened. 
Now, if a person lacks the empathy and is not remorseful, then probably the marriage is over, though he warns that it's possible that very often when a person, a husband, does not show the remorse or doesn't have the ability to empathize, it's not because that they're, they're, they're not feeling terrible about it, but they're dealing with their own guilt and they need counseling you know, to, to sort out their own stuff in order to express their inner tor- turmoil too. There's the, you know, it's their own doing, but the bottom line is they're in their own turmoil, and if they're doing the wrong thing, very often it's not because the marriage is over or because they're not empathetic, it's because they don't have the tools and they need guidance in order to deal with what they need to deal with. But the hurt spouse needs to know this, that they have to make a workable assumption Yes, it could be he's lying, but we're making an unworkable assumption that he's not, but he has to do these things. A verbal assurance that it's over, humility, empathy, taking responsibility, and being open about what happened. And um, there is... um, He he then, after that, went through uh, various um, phases that he talked about, the crisis phase, then the decision-making phase, and then the rebuilding phase. And he said like this. He says, when they're in that crisis phase, when the emotions are there, and um, then there is a 100% responsibility on the unfaithful spouse, he takes 100% responsibility for the marriage. And the hurt spouse takes zero responsibility for the marriage. I'm not even talking about the fear. The fear itself, obviously, the unfaithful one takes the full responsibility. But I'm talking about now for the marriage. To invest in the marriage. During this crisis period, the hurt spouse has zero responsibility on the marriage, investing in the marriage. The unfaithful spouse has 100% responsibility in the marriage. And this reason is very simple because right now the her spouse is not capable of accepting responsibility for the marriage. The, 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 it, it hurts too much. The trauma is too real, too severe. It has to pass this crisis phase in order for it to start. Then when you hit the point where the emotions calm down and there's a decision phase, then there's a shift in responsibility. And the therapists try to move that the hurt spouse now takes on 30%. It's like a 70, 30%, 80-20 at first, and 70-30. Not for the fear. For the fear itself, the unfaithful one takes 100% responsibility. It was his doing. And she takes zero responsibility. Um, We're talking now different. We're talking about the responsibility of the marriage, what to do to make it work, to discuss what happened to work on investing on the current situation, here there's already a shift. Once the crisis mode is passed, then we try to build up the hurt spouse to start putting in some effort and responsibility into the marriage, an 80-20, a 70-30. And then when it hits the rebuilding process, the aim is to get to a 50-50 responsibility for the marriage. Now, not never for the fear, remember that, but for the marriage, for the marriage to work going forward. And then he went through uh, the question of the tough questions. What, you know, what does the hurt spouse ask about it? What it doesn't? Most of the time, 
in most cases, the hurt spouse does not need to need, know all the sordid details in order to heal the marriage. That depends on the person. Sometimes the hurt spouse says, I can't get past it until I know everything that's going on, and then I can move forward. Fine. But they have to realize sometimes that if you hear everything, you know, in, in the detail of the details, um, it could be a point where I just, you know, the pain is too strong, I can't handle it. So the, un- so the hurt spouse needs to really evaluate how much they need to know pertaining to the real you know details of what took place but for the unfaithful spouse what they need to know is there needs to needs to be a total honesty a total honesty they don't mean have to give the play-by-play of what happened but they need to be a hundred percent truthful when the spouse asks the question the hurt spouse asks the question the unfaithful spouse needs to answer truthfully with 100% truthfulness. But then the therapist would turn to the hurt spouse and say, now that we're going in that mode where you're on the unfaithful spouse is going to be honest with you 100%, then you, if you know that he's being honest with you now, you have to be very careful with what you ask and how you ask because he'll answer you and you have to really figure out what you really need to answer. We'll continue Be'ezus Hashem in the next year, the final share on this subject. For now.